I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, welcome back to Paris, everyone, and to Tennis Podcast Towers Paris, where you find myself, David, and Matt. And we've been doing, we've been doing very French things, David, haven't we? Yeah, I had, I had Berth Bourguignon last night. We've been drinking wine. We've been watching a young French hope that I predicted would win Lyon, and he's into the final. It's all happening. <laughs> yeah, it might be time to finalise what we call French players doing well in France. Mousquetaire. Is it, it is Mousquetaire. Is it, that mousquetaire. is decidedly. Well, yeah. we've been watching a Mousquetaire. Yeah. Mm. I was ready to potentially start calling this a crowning for Artifice in Lyon because he hadn't actually had to win too many matches to get through to the semi-finals. He had a, a default and then he had a withdrawal. Suddenly he's in the semis, but I feel like he's earned his stripes in that semi-final because he quite literally had to win the match twice. Yeah, it's made up for, yeah. for his route through. <laughs> it, was, um, it was like that, that match you and I played against one another at the Royal Albert Hall, David. 2014. Except, except it, wasn't an, it, it wasn't an umpire insisting that we continue playing. Yeah. It was David himself. Did you fall on your back in celebration? No. And do you know what? If, you, if you're going to do a cancelled <laughs> celebration, Clay is the absolute worst surface to do that on because poor old Artifice had to play the remainder of the match, pick himself up, play a match tie-break, deciding set tie-break, with the physical evidence of his lost <laughs> win all over his body. It was, qu- it was quite <laughs> In his an extra- hair, even. Yeah, it was quite an extraordinary <laughs> sight, wasn't it? And... I don't know, not on its own, but moments like that could be the making of him. Yeah, could be. I mean, I, 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 think, that's, I think that sounds quite premature, but at the same time, it was a heck of a feat you to know, do you're that. Telling, you're telling me I'm being <laughs> premature about Otto. We're recording this podcast late because you insisted on, on watching David, it. David was live streaming the match as we walked back from yeah. Roland Garros. We had yeah. to sort of help him across the road because he was <laughs> had, his, had his face in his phone watching yeah. tennis TV. It's normal behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I do think it's a great sign. I do, I do agree with you. If, you. if you can play that well and, and literally celebrate on your back Nadal winning French Open style and then be told, no, no, the ball was out, you've got to start again, and, then and lose not, the game. And not the ball was out, you're replaying the point. Your ball was out, I'm giving the point to, to Brandon Nakashima, yeah. and it's now back to juice. It's not much point anymore. I, don't, I, I was hugely impressed that he, he picked himself up from that. I mean, me of now would not recover from that, let alone me aged... 18? Is he 18 to, or 19? To be fair, Catherine, 18. you did recover from the replayed point <laughs> in 2014 at the Royal Albert Hall, and you did beat me. Yeah, yeah, quality of opposition is a factor there, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit harsh. <laughs> Actually, it's not. Really. 
I, I, it's entirely accurate. I did, I did roll one into the bottom of the net to hand you the victory. <laughs> it was great. It was absolutely okay. great. Um, look, so that's Artifice through to the final in Lyon, where he will face Francisco Surundolo, who absolutely thrashed Cameron Norrie earlier on today. Uh, rumours that, well, not rumours, Norrie appeared not to be looking quite right physically, so so we'll see when he arrives in Paris what's going on with him. So that's the Lyon final. There's also tournaments going on in Geneva mm. where Casper Rude let me down. He's lost to Nicholas Jarry. Yeah, and Nicholas Jarry has backed that up. He's beaten Alexander Zverev. No way, really? Seven six six three, And he now faces wow. Grigor Dimitrov, who... Apparently, and this blew my mind when David I'm told me a this, good week. <laughs> is playing his first final for over five years since Rotterdam 2018. I mean, what has Grigor Dimitrov been doing? I should add, I haven't verified that. I, I have. Uh, you have? Yeah. I thought I was right all along. <laughs> oh, good. As I said, when David declared this stat, when we do Grigor Dimitrov re- relived during the next pandemic... Um, <laughs> Matt won't have to do any research because it, no. it's all it's all, there. it's all in the old David yeah. Law Mind Palace, yeah. isn't it's, it? It's 90s level knowledge. So that's the final that's set up in Geneva. I'm going through this now because I feel like the next time we record a podcast will be day one of Roland Garros and there'll be yeah. so much to mention. Look, we'll tell you who won these various tournaments, but I, I doubt we'll have opportunity to do, to do much more than that. We have uh, the... A uh, tournament happening on the WTA event in Rabat, Morocco. Uh, the final there is Yulia Grabher against Lucia Bronzetti. Mm. And Bronzetti is the first round opponent of Ons Jabeur at Roland Garros. Interesting. And more on Ons Jabeur shortly because she was one of the players that came through media day today, which would be the... Um, the bulk of our discussion uh, for this podcast, Yulia Grabher, I commentated on during the Australian Open earlier this year, losing to uh, Annette Contivate. And I, I wasn't impressed by her, but I could see that she had a game that was purely designed to work on clay and nowhere else. She is coached by um, Gunter Bresnik. Of oh, course, right. formerly of Thomas Muster and, and Dominic Team, And, you know, he crafts these incredible physical specimens. And she sure is one of those. So Yulia Grabher and Lucia Bronzetti in the Rabat final. And in Strasbourg, we have Alina Svitolina. Oh, wow. Against Anna Blinkova in the final. What a story that is. And, and Alina Svitolina recently off maternity leave we haven't Absolutely. seen her play since i mean when did she come she has she come made her back, return in she? charleston right so, so uh, and i saw her in the so. french open draw yesterday um i'm not sure she'd won a match before strasbourg um but she certainly made her return in charleston so that's that's an incredible story she was a wild card she beat clara burrell in the semi-final and she'll play in the final tomorrow so we'll um and Matt, are you just verifying that, that stat that I just... No, I was just looking up her French Open draw. Oh, yeah. She's got Trevisan in the first round. Tricky. Definitely tricky. Who is more likely to win their first round, Gail Monfils or Alina Svitolina? Svitolina. I don't even know who Monfils is playing. <laughs> but I remember we murmured to one another yesterday about Monfils losing to whoever he's got in the first round. Yeah, I just Sebastian Baez. Yeah, that's yeah, he's a good that. clay court player. There <laughs> yeah. is now, if he were playing against Daniel Medvedev, he's somebody I think who the type that would would cause Medvedev problems as a proper clay courter. You know, somebody really rips the ball with loads of topspin. Just confirming that my the the stat that I came out with was indeed absolutely false. Um, well, well, dep- depending on how we're interpreting things, it's a f- first tour level match wins uh, since coming back. But she did reach the semi final of the WTA uh, 125k event in Saint Malo 
that was won by Sloane Stephens. She lost to Sloane Stephens in the semi-finals. There we go. I think you deserve to be let off the hook. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. I appreciate that. <laughs> so on to media day. Seeing as Ange Burr has had a mention, let's start with the women. Well, let's start with fronting up and saying, not an epic media day? No. No, no it's been a bit wasn't. flat, really. A bit yeah. snoozy. Bit snoozy. Mm. I thought so. Who did Why? it start with today? Who was the first one in? Caroline Garcia. Garcia. Yeah, but it wasn't. A, I would what, put her what, in the snoozy bracket. I'm what what do we put it down to? Is it just you know sometimes they're going to be better than others, and we shouldn't look too much into this, or is there something missing? Is there? Is it just, you know, we're all getting used to an Nadal-less French Open and I, that's I, going to feel weird? I mean, what is it? It's about 10 players that came in to the main interview room to speak to the assembled media. And we're not entirely sure what the, the rules are on when you have to come in and what ranking you have to be. At least I'm not entirely sure. because the, And then you, you get to ask individually, don't you, if there's somebody who's not on the list, you can ask for them and hopefully they'll be given brought in as well um but I, I think yeah last year was certainly a really good media day i remember and this one maybe there aren't that many stories to get our teeth into really really sort of uh through the spine of the sport sometimes you get that one talking point that really gets everybody going there aren't that many of those i thought sits the pass was good I and mean, we'll come on to them individually but he was the highlight for me of the ones that I went into. I mean, I, I, I remember press conferences in the past where Naomi Osaka was in. And um, as you say, Nadal was really interesting last year, even coming into the tournament. And, he, and he's obviously just not, not here this time. So mm. it, it wasn't but great today. Possibly a combination of factors. Um, and for those of you that are still listening, well done. <laughs> you really, as we, as we you really are the diehard fans, <laughs> yeah. presumably... Most of our listeners tuned out uh, over the course of David's answer there. People probably telling us this will be a snoozy podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The snoozy podcast. That's what what we'll call it. Actually, sometimes people do say, I love listening to your podcast to fall asleep. Mm, My mum says that. And I never know how to take that. Mm. Is that that the greatest compliment possible or actually a huge insult? I'm going to take that as a compliment. Mm. (laughs) Whether or not it's intended. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so we started off with Caroline Garcia, mostly in French, few questions in English. Then in terms of the the well I suppose we don't we don't have to do this in men's and women's we could we could go chronological. Go whichever order you like. Uh, well, I like anyone uh, anyone have anything to say about Garcia? Because <laughs> that is our starting point if we're going chronological. The only thing is uh one of the sort of threads of, of the media day and Garcia was asked about it was this that the French Tennis Federation have invested in to sort of help protect players against online hate. It's a, it's an app with a sort of AI. Um, I don't know what the word is. We're still learning. It's an a, AI. I think it's a plug-in for your social media apps, which filters filters out hate messages. Yeah, so that you the, don't the AI see them. is trained or has learned. Um, to detect hate messages exactly. and filter them out. Yeah, I don't know how how good the the, the tech is. It's obviously good. And they're satisfied. It's good enough to to serve this function. Um, yeah, that was a running theme throughout the day, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, Coco Goff was was asked about that, and I mean, she she seems to have her own systems in place, just hab- habitually as to how to handle things. Because she said, you know, I. I will get messages to my social platforms every single day of my life, every hour of my life, she mm-hmm. said, and I have to make sure I know what I want to look at and what I don't. Um, the other thing Caroline Garcia was asked about was the handling of of the internal pressure she puts on herself and and not not putting too much stock in everything, you know, and, and she said, that remains a work in progress. She she was honest about that. She has not figured out completely how I'm supposed to play without it meaning the world all the time. And and it's one of those really big challenges for a, 
an athlete, I think, that you so desperately want to achieve and we want them to care and to achieve. And yet, in order to do that, a lot of the time they've got to find a way to release that valve and not have that pressure. Mm. Yeah, it, it was interesting. She did a lot of... She was really playing down the questions about how disappointing her year has been since winning the WTA finals, wasn't she? She was very much like, oh, shrug, that's the ups and downs of tennis, that's sport. And I don't know whether that's a good attitude or a bad attitude. I, I guess it depends on on the player and the personality. There's a part of me that wants to shake her and go, no, Car- Car- Caroline, you don't understand how good you are. You shouldn't be happy with the year you've had so far. You are so good. But there's another part of me that knows that it is a completely unpredictable sport. You know, she's she's been around the block enough times to know that you can't just click your fingers and produce your best form. And there is no point getting het up about not being able to produce the tennis that she did in Fort Worth week in, week out. Um, I Again, I suspect some boring balance of both those things, some snoozy balance of both those things is true. But um, yeah, it was interesting how... Um, not quite dismissive, but how relaxed she was about her year, mm. I thought. Um, but, I'm, you sh- know. I'm sure there are coping mechanisms, aren't they? And I, I didn't quite get a chance to ask her my question, which would have been about how different it feels coming into this tournament compared to every other tournament of the year. You know, what does it do to her as she steps out onto that court. I mean, I've seen her have some results here, but it's pretty fraught Yeah, watching her play here. It has been in the past anyway. It doesn't look fun for her, does it? No. It does not look like she's able to enjoy everything that comes mm. with it. The, and they make a fuss of her here, don't they? I yeah. mean, like she I mean, is she, treated as a massive star here. She's the fifth seed. Yeah, mm. and, it, and it's, she's like on the billboards, isn't she, next to Nadal, who's not here, obviously. On one hand, I was thinking... Gosh, she's getting all these questions in French about can you win Roland Garros and um, you know dreaming about winning Roland Garros and I'm thinking I hadn't even considered putting her in the you know I haven't gone through the draw who knows what will happen but she wasn't occurring to me big picture in my predictions and then I thought if this was Wimbledon and we had a fifth seed. <laughs> that sure as heck would be the line of questioning and if she from was... the Brits and it would it would be it would it would be the storyline, you know, it'd be a big she, deal in the papers. She might well be in my runners of... Because there are so many fewer players yeah, that are comfortable. Yeah, because she just looks... I think the game suits her better, I would have thought, on grass. I'm definitely not prepared to make mid-range Matt- Caroline Garcia predictions. <laughs> <laughs> Wise. I'll let you off on that one, Matt, although you are participating in a podcast where you will have to express some opinions that that could age badly. That's that's the game that we're that's in. What we do. Uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas was next into the room. And I agree with you, David. This was the one where I learnt the most. I didn't necessarily enjoy enjoy the press conference the most. I, I do find Tsitsipas press conferences awkward. Um, he definitely finds taking questions from me awkward. <laughs> I'm just going to stop trying. He didn't give a very long answer to it, did nope. he? <laughs> uh, but I learned a lot. Yeah. And well, I learned I mean, a lot that is certainly not encouraging me to pop him in my predictions anywhere. Arguably, Matt, was that more revealing because he said so little to the question that Catherine asked? Completely. I think his answer said everything. And I'm not, I don't know if he's realised how much it says. What was your question again? I, so, so he had uh, the f- the first question was from you, wasn't it? And it was about Mark Philippoussis. This was the first uh, time he'd spoken to the press since the news came out that that Philippoussis wasn't going to be with Team Sitsipas anymore. And it was Mark Philippoussis that announced that news, wasn't it? I don't think yeah. anything had come out from from Sitsipas on it. And he gave a really, really fascinating answer to you, Very David. Very considered and, and very considered. I mean. I think it should be an answer that's alarming to Sitsipas fans, personally. It didn't, I didn't find it a very encouraging answer, but it's very open and well, considered. The, the, the gist of it was that he 
Because I wanted to find out who'd made that decision. Philippus had announced it, but who made the decision? He described the parting as mutual, as so many people do, but then he made it very clear, really, that it was his decision. That's how it, that's how it sounded, and that he finds it stressful to have too many voices on the practice court and in in his team. And he, he was very keen to praise Mark Philippoussis and to express his affection for him and, and his admiration for him. But at the same time, he didn't want him in his team anymore, is what he was saying. And he, he needed just one voice. And presumably that's his dad. It seemed to be unequivocal. It seemed to go without saying that that voice has to be right. Apostolos. Yeah. That was the elephant in the room. Yeah, he said, he said it was mentally draining to have... Yeah so many different voices um, around him. And I was, I was nodding along to that. I was like, yes, it does seem very mentally draining to be Stefano Tsitsipas on court because I've watched it and you look mentally drained. But of course, the element that he didn't say was, you know, has he not considered that one voice being someone other than his dad? Because it feels like his dad is the most mentally draining element and of course what happened in Rome where I don't actually think we talked about this on the podcast mm. uh, where uh, he was playing Medvedev and it seemed like he told his mum to leave the box uh, he also told her to stop speaking in Russian and speaking Greek so that Daniil Medvedev couldn't understand the, the advice, the comments uh, and it was basically a sort of they were having a domestic while Stefanos Tsitsipas was playing a very high-profile match. And you've got these stills of Tsitsipas sitting there on the bench with his father behind him, you know, sort of chuntering away and, and his mother sort of distanced from the group. And it was just a sort of sad family scene while Tsitsipas is, is trying to win a match. And, of course, there's an element of tragedy to all of it, really, because I'm sure his parents have the best of intentions they want the best for him but it really feels like at the moment they're holding him back and no one seems to quite be able to see that within mm. the family it seems mm. yeah I, it was really embarrassing what happened in Rome I really felt for him it was yeah there's no better word it was extremely embarrassing it made you wince I felt so sorry for him because yeah, of course their intentions are are honourable in terms of, you know, wanting the best for their child. But without question, you can't watch that and not think they're getting in the way. Mm. You know, the Sitsipas family circus is getting in the way. He's still a darn good tennis player, but he is not achieving what he thought he would be achieving at this stage of his career. He's not. I don't think he's a better player than when he reached the final here two years ago. I, I, I think... I. If he has made some technical improvements that, that aren't quite visible to my eye, then I think they're cancelled out by not having the sparkiness of, and freshness of, of the youth that he used to have. I'm, I'm not suggesting he's old, but the youth that <laughs> he's he, been around for a he's while. He's been around for a while. And he's taken some tough and, losses. And... and yeah, so my question to him was following up on his answer to you, David, saying, well, you've said that, you know, the reason for things ending with Mark Philippus is is that the the situation had become emotionally draining for you. Another situation that was clearly emotionally draining, or no, I, I didn't put words in his mouth, I said, was what transpired in Rome with your player's box. I didn't reference his family. I mean, obviously we're talking about his family, but I, you know, I didn't want to make it as um, sort of pointed as that. You know, that situation with your player's box, what happened in that semi-final... Was that emotionally draining? And isn't it, is it something you think you can prevent happening in the future? And he said, I have no comment. <laughs> and Matt's just on the same face that he did at the time <laughs> when he was sitting next to me. Yeah. And it just moved on mm. from there. And, and, the, and the rest of his press comments was, was interesting. His... His reluctance, his refusal to engage with that subject, I'm not that surprised about, I suppose, given what he'd said to me about his decision generally. 
but he in saying what he said he said a lot yeah there's there's ways of non-engaging aren't there and and tennis players have some have some very wordy ways of of politely not engaging don't they and I didn't necessarily expect him to say god yeah my mum is such a pain in the arse she's really holding me back and I wish she and my dad would bog off it's tough it's really but, tough to see an obvious way out of this situation yeah. there was also going to end well there was also a line in the press conference where he said he feels like he's at a stage in his life now where he either needs more friends or wants to spend time with friends and in the past it had all been tennis 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 and he sort of neglected making friends really when he was younger and it, it feels as though now it's almost like tennis isn't giving him everything mm. that he thought it would always give him. And now he sort of hasn't developed that other area of his life. And he he seemed a little bit lost, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it, it's sad. Because... Need, needs a bit of Unai Emery <laughs> on the sidelines. Yes. <laughs> I was, it took me a little, a little while to get... What, Get what you were saying there. But because yeah, your mind doesn't instantly go to Stefano Sitsipas, massive Aston Villa fan. No. No, no. Well, it, well, it will from now on, David, Unai he's Emery, told you. Aston Villa manager, will be delighted to find out that Stefano Sitsipas is indeed a massive Aston Villa fan, mm. at which point I rolled my eyes because I hate Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs> Do we believe he's a big Aston Villa fan? No. <laughs> <laughs> What I think is happening here is that he knows a women's footballer called Alicia Lehman who mm. plays for Aston Villa. There's been some sort of social media interaction between the two of them. And, hey, I'm an Aston Villa fan. <laughs> I think that's what's yeah, happened. That's to what's to happened. be fair, I declared myself a Seattle Seahawks fan out of thin air. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, but the, you then did the... Re- Look, maybe Sitzbass has done the read. I was really hoping someone would say, you know, what do you think about John McGinn or something? <laughs> but it didn't... Look... For a later press mm. conference, Should they have played Cameron Archibald? <laughs> How will you cope with European football next yeah. season? Yeah, look, we'll, we'll pop it on the to-do list to, to really grill Stefan Osset's <laughs> on his Aston Villa fandom. Um, next in was Igor Svantec, defending champion, world number one. First question was about... Um, the difference for her between how she feels on the eve of the tournament this year to last year, given that the rivalries that have developed for her over the course of, you know, the first five months, four and a half months, no, five and a half months of this year, um, and the challenges that she's been posed by Svantec and Sabalenka. And um, she said that has given her an extra kick of motivation, I think is how she described it. Um, she didn't know until that press conference, until Russell Fuller, Russell Fuller of the BBC told her she could lose her number one ranking. That was very tournament. funny. That was a good moment, wasn't it? I very much enjoyed the evolution of that question throughout the day for Russell because he went in with it uh, to Igor Svantec and said, this is a tournament where you could lose your number one ranking. And she clearly didn't know. So it was a funny moment. And Russell sort of said, oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to sort of startle you with that fact <laughs> when he put the question to Sabalenka a little bit later he said how aware are you of the rankings <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was yeah, really great that's what we do in this trade <laughs> hey, on the on the thigh injury the leg injury that she sustained in Rome I thought mixed messages what did you mm. say she said she's still recovering but I know I'll be ready for my first round match and I thought well if 10 days on you're still recovering how can you absolutely know that in three days you'll be completely fine I interpreted it as I'm not going to be perfect for my first round match but I'm so much better than everybody else yeah I mean yeah she beats people Uh, by the time I need to have two legs I will have two legs Mm. yeah I I thought the same Mm. yeah because we did hear some reports that on on the practice court, you know, she's been mm. hitting well, but not doing an awful lot of moving. Uh, but um, I think I, I had the exact same reaction. Initially, I was like, huh, that's a bit weird. How do you know that you're going to be fine? 
she's going to be fine enough, I think, mm. in her mind for the first round. She she was asked uh, by Yannick Schneider, it was the German journalist, about the app. And she said, it's a great idea. Um, and she, she gave some pretty thoughtful thoughts. God, that's ironic. What, what an unthoughtful thought that phrase was. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she, she gave some thoughts about, you know, she said, look, I... I am of the generation where, you know, it's not a choice to use social media. This is how we communicate and how we how we build relationships and how we move through the world. And it's really sad that the thing that's supposed to make us, make us happy also brings so much trouble and difficulty. And she thought it was a great idea. She also mentioned in that answer, she sort of broadened it, broadened it out to talk, to talk about general improvements at Roland Garros this year. And she said there are more places for the players to nap which, you know, bully for them. But my campaign <laughs> for media nap pods has been off the ground for some time yeah. without any recognition. It's a scandal. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm right there with you, Catherine, on this crusade. Mm. Thank you. Mm. I think, so, it, you know, perhaps biggest Fiontech's naps are more important. <laughs> Sorry? Also, players are not spending 12 to 14 hours on site. No, they're bloody not, David. Unless they're really bad at sort of knowing when to arrive for their match. But they need to, you know, suddenly have energy, don't they? So, you know. So do we. If matches run on and, you know. Let's move on to Arena Sabalenka. Well, well, just just a final point on on the (laughs) Fionta. I thought it was an interesting question from Matt Futterman, picking up on something Mm. that we've commented on in terms of that rivalry of particularly I think Igor Svantec against Arena Sabalenka where it has felt like there's a bit of an edge to that mm. match and you know Matt made the point impossible to ignore what's happening in the world and the war in Ukraine and how outspoken Svantec has been in her support of Ukraine coming up against a Belarusian in Sabalenka is that tension being brought to the court I thought it was a really interesting question and And her answer did make me think, because she said no, you know, she tries not to make matches personal and she's just focused on what she's doing. And I suppose that is true. One of the the elements to Iga Svantec is how sort of ruthless she is against everyone. I remember her playing one of her friends on tour, Kai Yuvan, I think it might have been here at the French Open last year. She absolutely crushed her, like, six love in about 15 minutes in the first set. And she sort of brings that energy to every match that she possibly can. So it did, it did make me reflect a little bit and think perhaps it's more, you know, mm. that sort of tension in that match is perhaps more the other way. Perhaps it's Sabalenka really sort of wanting to beat Sviontek. Uh, but, yeah, but if they do play again, I'm certainly going to be, be thinking about that answer from, from Igor Sviontek. Well, Sabalenka, who was next into press, was sort of asked about tensions with opponents from a, a slightly more literal angle, wasn't mm. she? Because she faces Marta Kostiuk first round, and Marta Kostiuk has been one of the most outspoken Ukrainian players on on her belief that uh, Russians and Belarusians should not be not be playing on tour and various other things like greater support that should be offered to to Ukrainian players. Um, I don't think anybody expects there to be a handshake in this match that we know will take place on on Sunday. They haven't released an order of play, but they've told us which matches will be happening on Sunday. And Sabalenka Kostyuk is is one of them. And she was the 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 answer kind of went on a journey, didn't it, Matt? To to this one. Yes, I I feel like uh, Sabalenka. It's hard because you want players to be authentic and real and react in the moment to questions. I, I almost feel like she needs a, a bit of a stock answer, a bit of... Mm. So she knows what she's going to say in response to questions about the war, which very legitimately will keep coming up. Uh, and at one point, she made the point, it's absolutely fine, I totally get it if Marta Kostiuk doesn't like me. You know, I understand that. Uh, I don't feel anything bad towards her, she said. If I could, I would stop the war. She said that again, which is a phrase that that she's used before. 
But then she sort of keeps talking and ends up saying things like sport and politics shouldn't mix. And I, I find that to be a disappointing thing to say, you know, that sort of lack of lack of awareness, really. Um, but yeah, I think it's hard that she has to handle those questions, of course. But I, I suppose I'm just a bit surprised that she doesn't just sort of shut them down a little bit, mm. a little yeah, bit which, more. Which Medvedev has learnt how to do. Right. Um, you know, maybe he's a little more comfortable in those settings and he's a very comfortable public speaker generally, isn't he? One other thing that Shantek said about the Sabalenka rivalry and, and Rebecca and the rivalry, she says, we, we don't really have a relationship at all. We just, it's, there's no bad mm. blood between us. Our, we respect each other, but mm. that's it. We don't, we don't know each other is effectively mm. what you're saying and there is which is kind of unusual i think in in the locker room in recent years there's been a lot of palliness yeah and too much palliness. well i do quite like the fact that these three yeah. are just going toe yeah. to toe and they they meet each other when they get out there and the rest of it is well all business yeah and p.s rebecca was supposed to come into press today she didn't show up and we're none the wiser about why or when when we might see her. Um, Unless she came in after we left and that was right been, at the end of the media session No, because day. we're on the WhatsApp group, so, David. Oh, yes, of course we are. I forgot that. Yeah, we'd know about it. Yeah, Some of us have, have been on the all, WhatsApp group since on, Monday. Have you already muted the WhatsApp group? <laughs> no, I haven't. I just, I mute notifications You don't have notifications generally. on generally, I, do I you? I do not want any notification popping up and telling me somebody wants to say something. Even us. Yeah. I look when I'm good and ready. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, which is three o'clock in the morning. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> she said she feels Sabalenka like a better player on clay than she's ever been before. Well, which... she was rubbish before. Yep. Well, she was rubbish here. <laughs> she's, never, she's never been good at the French Open. She was good mm. in Madrid. She was good in Madrid. She's been good in Stuttgart. It? Was she good in Stuttgart? What, so Rome wasn't real clay, Madrid wasn't real clay. <laughs> no, Rome's real clay. She's been good in Stuttgart in the past, yeah. Um, okay. She said she feels like she's physically better on mm. clay. She feels like her physicality in her game has improved and that will help her on the clay. I feel like we need a, we need a scale. I feel like some players have, have tried to describe their relationship with clay. Like Mevatev very much friend-zoned clay, didn't he, in, in Rome, saying he doesn't love it, he's just... Friends, friends with it now. Um, Dan Evans today said that he and Clay have been sleeping in different beds. Oh, yes. <laughs> hang on. I see what you're doing here, Matt, and I love it. This could really spice up the snoozy pod. Um, let's workshop this. So Sabalenka's relationship with Clay is, is... She's circling it and eyeing it warily. Chirpsing? <laughs> Look, you brought it up, Matt. I think it's more, it's more they're threatening. Like, they're than liking that. one another on Instagram. No, I think she's out to. to I don't think she wants. Oh, a, I, I think she's not. See, even, she's, I've, I've got my eye seen, on you. She's seen it across a bar, and she's gone. Yeah. See you around the back. <laughs> For a fight or. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, but okay. Okay. We're workshopping live, We're- folks. <laughs> life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. 
being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right, let's move on to Coco Goff and see where this goes. Um, what do we think? about where Coco Goff is. Was she a little bit subdued? She was thoughtful in mm. there. She's she's very open about where she is in her life, the stage of life that she's at. And she talks you through it uh, to explain that she's growing up and she's matured again in a year's time. And I, I it's quite interesting that the... With her, always the elephant in the room is who's going to ask the question about the forehand. Mm. And and I was preparing myself to ask it in a way that once the person who did ask it, asked it, put it to her, I realised my question was going to be rubbish by comparison because it was Mary Carrillo who asked the question about the forehand and she put it so perfectly. And so directly in a yes. way that none of us could pull off. It no. was perfection, wasn't it? Um, and there was a lot in her answer to it, wasn't it? Well, she said... Well, the question was, do you know what the bugs are in your forehand? And when you're on the practice court, how much time are you spending on your strengths versus your weaknesses? In an hour, what percentage yeah. do you spend on your strengths? And she said, look, we know from the Australian Open, don't we, that she is trying to diminish in her mind how how big an issue the forehand is. She's trying to not let it, not get the yips on it. Not, mm. you know, you can get into a vicious mental cycle with this, but obviously that doesn't address what we understand is a significant technical, technical issue. It just kind of, in theory, stems the stems the flow, stops it running out of control. But she said, the forehand is something I have to improve on. But on clay especially, I feel like it's one of my weapons. I have the... And then she also made the very astute, interesting point that I hadn't thought of is, at least I have the advantage of knowing where opponents are going to play me. She said, "I know," basically saying, I know everyone's talking about my forehand. You know, Badossa said it, didn't mm. she? You know, I'm going to... Well, she said afterwards, obviously the trick is to, to play to the forehand. The problem is, it works. And the forehand is completely vulnerable to breakdown. And she said, I thought this was quite a telling line at the end of the answer. She said, I feel pretty confident regardless of how others view my game. Mm. Yeah, it's she must either really believe that or have to be doing a real job on herself to to not be a nervous wreck about it because mm. it's not just a weak shot, relatively speaking. It is a liability of a shot. It is where you go and she can't cope. And the thing is, in tennis, the liability is usually also the weapon. That's kind of how it very often goes, isn't it? The thing that can be your greatest weapon is also the thing that's Mm. most liable to break down. Not always. You can have, you know, sort of... I'm... I was going to go Casper Reed's backhand, but maybe that's a bit hard. It's a reliable shot. It just doesn't do any damage, does it? But I think pointing to its capacity to do damage in this case perhaps sort of misses the point. But I do understand why she's doing these mental gymnastics mm. equally. Yeah. And from the matches I've watched of Goff on clay this year, it has simply not been a weapon. I would say that was probably true last year where, you know, let's not forget she reached the final here last year and she said it was a weapon in terms of jumping up and, you know, it really sort of took off from the clay. And I think that was absolutely true last year. 
that has not been the case in, in the matches I've watched this year. It's just broken down. It's just coughed up unforced errors. And she actually mentioned that she felt the last match she played, her backhand was was the issue. And I still think that stems from the forehand because there's no confidence in the forehand and that, that, that bleeds into the rest of her game, I think. Um, and she didn't address the direct nature of Mary's question, do you know what the bug is? You know, she didn't she didn't say that. Which, you know, fine, she's she's absolutely entitled to say what she mm. feels comfortable saying and wants to say, but I don't know if she does know the answer to that question. Mm. Certainly did, I mean look, she's in a tough section of the draw anyway, even if she came in, you know, saying the things that we wanted to hear about the forehand, I'm not necessarily sure I'd be doing big things with her in my draw but she didn't say anything today that changed how I was feeling about about my Coco Goff predictions um Ons Burr was next into the room um and it was a very pleasant time as it always is with Ons Burr lots of just comfort with being in that room lots of personality and twinkle in the eye didn't feel like there was anything hugely noteworthy that she said um she gave me a great line didn't she about uh I asked her about you know losing pretty much before the tournament had started here last year first match on Chatrier on the Sunday and she and by that point the list had come out of Sunday's matches and she wasn't wasn't on it and she said I hate playing on Sundays here (laughs) I always lose she said I was very relieved I wouldn't be surprised if she had requested not to play on that Sunday, um, so that was a that was a good, good strong line. But yeah. an, anything else? I guess I was just struck by how different it was to last year, where we felt like we knew what to expect from Jabir. We felt like she was going to play well. She came in to the tournament in such good form, having won Madrid and reached the final in in Rome, and then. Yeah, all, all the air went out of the balloon when she's scheduled first up on Sunday and, and loses. Here, it feels totally different. Like, I I don't really know what to expect from Jabir or what I, you know, she said her injury is better, which is encouraging. She played so well in Charleston, which mm. wasn't that long ago and hasn't been, hasn't been good since. Is that real clay, David? Charleston? Yeah. <laughs> Relative to, the law test. relative to Roland Garros, no. I actually agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if Roland Garros is unanimous, unanimously Well, nothing's re- going to meet the, clay, ro- the Roland Garros well, standard, yeah. is it? I mean, then it's Rome after that. Hmm. It's a problem with the... With, I've, I'm a broken record. It's the problem with the women's lead-up yeah. events. They don't have Barcelona. Yeah. They, don't they don't have, have Monte, Monte Carlo. Carlo. Yeah, and Estoril. Yeah, there's yeah. A, a lack of clay court tournaments that really replicate the conditions. Interestingly, Daniel Medvedev, who was next into the room, and and I had my hand up for a question, and it was going to be, you know, Daniel, it was outrageously wet and cold in Rome last week, brackets, I'm still not over it. (laughs) Um, And it could not be more different in Paris this week. Does Does that make you falter... In sort of your confidence in how it can translate, does it make it feel like just break the continuum? I suppose. But before I had the chance to answer my question, he started talking about how heavy the balls are this year, which is something that he's been generally speaking complaining about because he believes it um, over the course of the the year. I mean, because he believes it's leading to more injuries particularly in the shoulder and and elbow area and he might well be right about that but he was saying actually the heaviness of the balls here he's hit twice on Chatrier so far made it feel more like Rome oh and he said in years gone by that would have been a nightmare for me I'd have thought well I'd I'd like it to be like Madrid please or you know as unclayy as possible but why are you surprised David you were in the room yeah, no, I was, but I, 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 for some reason I didn't pick up on that line about the similarities to Rome because of the, the balls. I mean, I was still thinking about his answer to my question before that. And Which about, was? About the confidence levels 
immediately after that first practice session because that was the running theme throughout Rome was that David, it was in answer to this that he said the stuff that I just said. Oh, okay. Maybe I wasn't concentrating that hard. (laughs) You got a great answer out of him. Anyway, carry on. Um, But it just, you know, that that was such an eye-opener, the way he was talking his chances up midway through the tournament. And then he goes and wins it. And um, he definitely seems in a good frame of mind here again. Um, But he did say, maybe I don't feel quite as good as I did there. My favourite moment of the Medvedev press conference was when he was listing all all of the great players that he'd beaten in Rome on clay and he was like Zverev, Tsitsipas, Runa and he paused and he went Bernabe Zapata (laughs) Marais And then he threw Emil Roussevori in there He said he got a set off Alcaraz which Mm. was very Reggie He was winning for a bit It was It was Yeah it was great. Um, there was a, a bit of a burn for what Andre Rublev. What, there was a very <laughs> brutal question to him about what Andre Rublev wore to his daughter's christening. Basically, what was he playing at? Yeah, <laughs> and bless Daniel Medvedev. He was like, "What are you talking about?" Andre was dressed fine. He mm. said he, he made such he was, an effort. Yeah, to he be said there. he was wearing a t-shirt. Stuck up for him. Yeah, it was nice. It was a sweet moment. Those two are cute. Uh, Alcaraz was last in. The press conference room. I was otherwise occupied by Artifice on the screen. Yeah, at this David point. skipped the uh, <laughs> the number one in his potential pitch, pick for the title. I trusted you two, so tell me, tell me what. Well, uh, I'll defer to you, Matt, like. because you you listen to the Spanish portion as well as the English. Yeah, I, I, this was a bit of a snoozy one, I have to say. <laughs> um, I think again, it was it was probably Matt Fussman's question that that sort of sparked my main thought about this and it was how I don't really worry about Alcaraz in terms of adapting to new situations and the new situation here is number one seed at Grand Slam for the first time and you know with Rafael Nadal not here there's so much more attention on him particularly in Spain and I don't know he just has a way of that all sitting quite lightly on him or it seeming to sit quite lightly on him and him still be able to go out and express himself on the tennis court and play electrifying tennis. I don't, I don't think about all that baggage going on in his life. I just think about him as a tennis player. And yeah, it, it, it made me realise I haven't been thinking about that without Chris. I'm just focused on sort of tennis aspects, whereas... For, for other players, you know, we're talking about Tsitsipas. There's so mm. much, there's so much else going on that I factor in to how they will perform. Whereas Alcaraz, mm. it, I don't. And they, and yet he's so young. He's number one. He's got huge attention. Just seems to be be handling it. Yeah, it was it was the question as much as the answer actually, which which gave me a lot because it exactly. I think that's exactly what you're saying. Um, it made me realise something about. Alcaraz yeah. or you know piece some things together in my mind and it may be sorry for this for a moment man obviously my brain is in a very succession-y place <laughs> because it's the finale on Sunday um, but it made me think of the line from the last episode David that Kendall delivered in his I'm doing this because we've established that we've lost all our listeners already <laughs> when we advertise this as a, a snoozy pod so <laughs> indulge me when Kendall said in his off-the-cuff uh, speech about his father Logan Roy he said he was comfortable in every, there wasn't a room in the world he wasn't comfortable in, mm. and that it was an it was an incredible line of of dialogue at the time, and it just got so to the heart of something about a person, and that is how I feel about Carlos Alcaraz. I feel like he could be, you know, in a in a dive tapas bar in in Madrid with his granddad, if he has a. a, a don't know anything about his granddad. Or he could be, you know, he talked about playing golf today, didn't he? He could be on a swanky golf course or he could be, you know, Nadal-style fishing in Mallorca or he can be Mr. Showbiz on the biggest tennis court in the world and playing to the crowd or he can be, you know, signing every autograph for a baying group of fans or, you know, politely saying goodnight to us who he doesn't know on his way out of Indian Wells. I don't think I've ever seen him look uncomfortable 
in any room or any no, setting. No, I can't either. And it will be interesting to see whether he can maintain that as the mm. years go by because it can get wearing. For most of these guys, eventually it becomes a lot. Uh, and actually, I think that was always a feature of Federer and Nadal is how lightly they carried all mm. of that. And, and well, let's be honest, he, he has his role models there right there he's lived his life with them in full view and on tv and also now in person and so maybe we are seeing the generation the generational effect of what went before he he did uh i don't know sow the seed for a potential doubles Ooh. partnership with rafa nadal at the olympics Next yes. year. It was one Said of those, it in English and in Spanish. It was one of those where a there was there was an accredited journalist asking, you know, very good very good questions, but his he was I think working for he's working for the Olympics. Obviously the Olympics is going to be in Paris next year. And his job was to go in and ask players about the Olympics, which not everybody really wants you know, he's his job is to ask players would you prefer to win the Olympics than a Grand Slam, which on the eve of a Grand Slam is, you know, a bit of a, a tough sell, but he did his job very well. And he got a great answer out of Alcaraz about, would you be interested in playing Olympic doubles with Nadal next Which, year? I can't believe I hadn't thought of that. It's a great idea. N- now it's all I can think now about, it's all as I well as the about. succession so finale. It would have been a good story if he'd have said no. <laughs> well, but I thought he'd go, well, yes, you know, always, he's a great player, always great to share the court with him, but who, who knows? But he went, his eyes lit up and he went, oh my goodness, that would be a dream. <laughs> um, and we're all thinking, yeah, for, for us too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make it so. Mm. And that concludes Media Day. Yeah, snoozy. <laughs> <laughs> Not a sign of things to come from the tournament. We've we've got high hopes for the tournament, folks. It's going to be good. Um, in terms of matches that are being played on Sunday, we've got Sabalenka Kostyuk, I mentioned that, Zachary Mukova. Is on Sunday, isn't it? And Corne Georgie, those are the three women's matches that jumped out at me. Who are the men kicking things off? Sinner, I think, plays Sunday? No. No, Rublev and Sitsipas right. are the highest ranked men to be playing. Right. Yeah. And then it'll continue on, on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> they tend to. Dynamic content <laughs> to end on mm. right in the <laughs> snoozy pod sweet mm. spot. Uh, I've picked out a few names from qualifying. Yes, who, please, who made Matt. it through. Take it away. Uh, I think I think the story of qualifying really is Luca Pui. Mm. Uh, when did we last talk about Luca Pui? A long time maybe ago. Maybe probably losing the semi final against Djokovic at Australian well, Open, or maybe a Davis Cup line. He, you have. Absolutely tick the boxes, David, because oh. he said that he hasn't felt such good feelings on the tennis court since that 2019 Australian Open semi-final. And he said he hasn't experienced such a good atmosphere since France won the Davis Cup in 2017. Wow. Um, and he's, he's given some interviews over the last few weeks talking about how tough it's been. He's been battling depression. He's been... Uh, battling alcoholism, drinking on his own in the middle of the night, um, crying in hotel rooms. He's been at a really low ebb. Um, he's dropped. He dropped down to 670 in the world. And anyway, he's he's been the story of qualifying because he's he's made it through. We could hear some of the the noise while we were mm. recording yesterday, and he eventually he he won that match. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a great story. He hadn't. He hadn't won a match on the ATP Tour all year. He'd just been playing challenges, really, and he had a three-win, four-loss record. So it's kind of come from nowhere. Um, and, yeah, such a such a talented player who just lost his way. Uh, so it, it's a big deal, I think, that he's, mm. he's made it through qualifying. Um, Jerry Sheng. Is mm. through uh, now. Eighteen years old. He beat Fabian Marishan along the way, 
And Who's F- the guy who beat Alcaraz? Alcaraz. That name will be in our end of year quiz, won't it? Or an answer to our end of year yeah. quiz. <laughs> um, and Elias Ema beats Yannick Hanfman, who was another one who had done well in in Rome but has not made it into the Roland Garros draw. Ima has ended up qualifying. And Aslan Karatsev, who feels like the most dangerous qualifier. Uh, he didn't He didn't drop a set. He's made it through as well. On the women's side, Mira Andreva is probably the name that, that pops out. Had that great run in, in Madrid. And she beat the top seed in qualifying, Camilla Osorio. Great match yesterday. Very impressive win for her to come through qualifying. Also Taylor Townsend. Elizabeth Mandlick, Fiona Ferro, uh, Brenda Fruverteva joining her sister in the draw. And we watched Clara Towson make it through we did. as well. So lots of, on, lots of notable names. Mm. Yeah, exciting stuff. Uh, this edition of the Tennis Podcast is brought to you in association with On Location. As with all our editions throughout this French Open, they are the premium hospitality and experience provider. On Location provide packages via Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours to all of the four Grand Slam tournaments, including the US Open, which is on sale now with fantastic tickets to watch the action throughout the year's final Grand Slam at Flushing Meadows in New York. And hospitality packages to help you kick back and relax with all-inclusive food and drinks in a lounge and rooftop bar in between matches. Mm. We have a 5% discount code for tennis podcast listeners. Just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast tours, the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast. Click the US Open discount section and enter the code final slam for 5% off your ticket and hospitality package. You have until May 31st at 11.59pm Eastern time to get your discount. So just few more days to get in there check out our show notes for the fine print also in our show notes are details of how to become a friend of the tennis podcast and by becoming a friend you'll gain access to our four musketeers tennis relived special that we recorded yesterday and all of our archived of tennis relived and bonus episodes we'll be doing plenty more of them over the weeks and months to come including a French Open review show, which feels so far away right now, but of course will be upon us before we know it. We have our mascots. I've got Xenia. I've got Maisie. Maisie, Maisie I tell you, this <laughs> we are at the crossroads of greatness right now, I'm telling you. Artifice carries our hopes in his hands. We believe he's, he's just got a surrenderlo to get past. And Darwin's regretting all of his life choices, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We have our <laughs> top folks. Uh, who did he pick? Jill Tightman. <laughs> top folks. Sorry, Jill. Top folks. She's and your cheating star. <gasps> top folks. Shush. Top folks and executive producers Jamie, Hannah, and Drew. And we have been, actually. Uh, I was mo- moderately distracted earlier on in this episode by uh, an, a photo of Billie Jean coming through. Uh, Billie Jean, who is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Right. Uh, she's enjoying the sunshine back home. I don't know. Uh, we have shout-outs. I was just about to apologise to everybody who's been unfortunate enough to have their shout-outs on the snoozy pod. But <laughs> far away, Matt. <laughs> Those people are Kate Darling in Oregon. All right, Kate. All right, Kate. Like, um... Kate Makarova, also known as a Katerina. But Kate was on her Instagram. I can have that. How do you know that? I've been on (laughs) Katerina Makarova's Instagram. It's incredible. Katie McNally. There are tennis Kates, come on. We're not we always well, have yeah. this. We always end up Katie Swan, Katie Bolter. <laughs> Katie O'Brien played Venus Williams on Centre Court I once. I think I've still won. Sorry. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> and sorry we couldn't do better for you. We've also got Marianne Brooks, who is from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Cape Cod. Cape Cod makes me think of the film Splash. Yes. Mm. With Tom Hanks mm. and Daryl Hannah. Yeah. Oh. Matt, any ideas? 
He doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't never that. heard of it. Really I, I don't know the film, and I haven't got any tennis Marianne's. I'm afraid. <laughs> Marianne, though, thank you so much for being. Thank you, Marianne. And finally, we've got Pamela Kennedy. Another Pamela. Pamela is from Edinburgh, and she says it's always Pamela, never Pam. So unfortunately, I can't pretend the we love you, Pam, is for me and not Pam Shriver. However, we love you, Pamela. Yeah, Pam has been referred to in very recent history as Pamela. She has, Pamela Howard Shriver. Mm. Yeah. How did that come up? You're in great company, Pamela. I can't remember why we started calling her Pamela. Pamela Anderson was always a Pamela, wasn't she? We did. <laughs> I feel like you're you're both having very separate conversations right I'm now. Just trying and I'm, to present, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, trying to, to juggle both of them. And I'm trying failing. to present a podcast here, and David's running running riot. Sorry, it's the art of feast thing. I'm, I'm, I'm giddy. <laughs> Look, congratulations to you, listener, if you've made it to the end of this. We've got 15 more of these to come, and we will make efforts for them to be better. Yep. That is our solemn promise to you. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. 